This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN New York. Good Sunday afternoon, everybody. Welcome. 1-800-919-3776. Also via Twitter at Hardesty ESPN at ESPN NY 98 underscore 7 FM. JP and I will be with you for the next oh, three hours or so. We got a jam-packed show lined up for you. Lots to do, lots to talk about. We've got a number of guests. Uh, Bobby Marks will join us at the bottom of the hour. We'll talk a little NBA with him, get some thoughts on where some teams are going, what some teams around the NBA have done with their trade moves at the trade deadline, teams like Orlando. What's happening? What's the, what are they thinking about going forward? Of course, we'll talk about the Nets, whom Bobby knows a little bit about <laughs> from his years there. Uh, with Brooklyn when they were in Jersey and when they were in Brooklyn as well. And the latest acquisitions they've gotten to make Stephen A even say, man, like, are you just taking up everybody? <laughs> you have an all-star squad? We'll talk to Bobby Marks at the bottom of the hour. Next hour, we'll be joined by Ritz Amini. He'll give us his thoughts and we'll update what's going on with the Jets. Because there's always something going on with the Jets, right? You you find out, you think you know, you're not sure. Plus, Robert Sala is getting a lot of kudos from various free agents about one of the reasons why they have decided upon the Jets, why they are looking forward and made the Jets their team of choice. And, of course, this is an interesting year for Joe Douglas. Plus, as Carlin mentioned, I'll have some thoughts on it as well. An interesting article from our colleague or former colleague, Ian O'Connor, in the New York Post on his one-on-one with Wellington Mara, uh, John Mara, rather, and his thought process on his confidence in Daniel Jones. More confidence than some Giant fans have in Daniel Jones. And the one thing I'll say, and as I mentioned, we'll talk about it more next hour, but the one thing I will say about John Mara is this. He is as upfront, as honest, as passionate an owner that you'll find in sports. And he is very, very honest. And some of the things he mentioned in that article, if you're a Giant fan, you're happy to see. And you appreciate that because of his honesty. So you like that. So we'll talk about that. In, in the last hour, we'll be joined by Christy Ackert. We'll get her thoughts on what's going on with the Yankees. Yes, yet another injury. Luke Voigt out for at least three weeks minimal. And so we'll get her thoughts on what's happening with this Yankee team as they wrap up their preseason and head north for opening day later next week. So as I mentioned, we got a lot to do inside this edition of the Larry Hardesty Show on a Sunday on 98.7 ESPN. Of course, we'll keep you updated on what's going on with the NCAA tournament. Halftime, you're looking at Michigan with a 32-21 lead over Florida State. Michigan, a top seed. And look, here's the one thing that I love about college basketball and is really confusing about college basketball. And in this sport... Obviously, boxing would be number one. But for me, in this sport of college basketball, there is nothing more true than styles and the matchup of styles and how you try to adjust to an opponent's style and take them out of what they love to do. And it's like that in all sports. We understand that. But especially in a sport like boxing, in a sport like college basketball, because of the fact, especially in the tournament, where it's one and done, right? You match up, you you scout them, you match up, you try to take away what they do better, and you try to get that done because if you don't, you're home. You're home. 
And a lot of folks were talking about, and look, it's only halftime. And I, and listen, all the Michigan State folks, I'm not trying to uh, jinx your jinx the Wolverines. It's not what I'm trying to do. Love Jawan Howard. But for the folks who were saying all this time, we know Florida State, what they do is going to be tough for Michigan to make adjustments. It's going to be tough. Wow, look out. This is going to be a tough matchup. When you're able to make baskets and you take advantage of turnovers, it changes the whole complexion of your game, right? And now the pressure has become on Florida State. And it's forced them to take some threes that if the game was closer, I don't know that they would have taken. Have not seen a lot of Florida State this year, okay? Very familiar with Leonard Hamilton and his coaching philosophy, but I've not seen a lot of Florida State this year. But I'm telling you, they're lucky to be down 11. They're lucky. A couple of bad shots for Michigan. I mean, they were rolling. What they, what Michigan State, uh, Florida State was scoreless for like three, four minutes. They're lucky to be down by 11. But once again, college coaches, this is where you earn your bid to an NCAA championship, right? It is adjustments. It's about adjustments. It's about making the adjustment and getting your team ready to see what they did, what they were successful in the first half. And now you have to go on and try to take that away and get yourself, your offense going a little bit. In the opener today, it was number one Gonzaga all over Creighton, the fifth seed. That's the West region. Listen, Gonzaga's undefeated, and they're undefeated for a reason, and you saw it today. And this wasn't even their best game. I've seen them a couple times this year, and this was (laughs) pretty good. (laughs) They are going to be tough to beat. All right, there's no question. They are going to be tough. They're they're very good defensively. They have a great offense. They share the basketball. They hit the three. They've got a deep team. They got a team that can shoot. They hit free throws. They they're just tough. They're tough. So we'll see what happens with them. A couple of more games tonight. We got number two Alabama against number eleven UCLA. That's the uh, East region also, and the other West region action is. Number six, USC against number seven, Oregon. And obviously the winner of that one will face Gonzaga. The winner of the Alabama-UCLA game will face the winner of this game that you've got going on right now. Number one, Michigan against number four, Florida State. I really really like what Michigan's done and how prepared they were. I noticed that clearly – uh, Florida State wanted to come take the ball out of the take the ball out of the point guard's hands, try to make the offense slow the offense down and do some things, and um, Michigan made the adjustment. So this is a it's a pretty good game. It's a pretty pretty good game. Pretty good game. One eight hundred nine one nine three seven seven six. You know, take some phone calls. Spike is in Jersey. He's next on ninety eight seven ESPN. Hi, Spike. I'm in where? <laughs> I, I put I brought you back to Jersey. I'm- all right, that's good. I don't have to pay that toll going over to Verzano. <laughs> yeah, so. that, could, that, could, that was a week's pay when I was a kid, for God's sake. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's, that's a, right. It's a, that's a steep one. Well, thanks for getting me on. I, I was able to talk to Colin and, and yeah. made my point uh, about about Woody. And yeah. uh, I'll go there first and then quick take off. And uh, I'm taking my time listening to you, man. Everything you're telling me, I'm listening to you. I'm going slow. So I appreciate mm-hmm. the kind words Good. that you tell me on the side Good. about Gonzalo. It's crazy, do. crazy down here, crazy world. Yeah. I know. So, I know. so listen. I knew Mike Woodson from. I think it was eighty or eighty one when Red came back a second time, mm-hmm. and he didn't play rooks, as you know. But yep. he kept him sitting next to him, right, to watch. 
and uh, I was t- I was telling Jacob, I think I think I sat two rows behind I, Larry. I, I'm almost sure I paid five bucks for that seat. <laughs> Probably did during those years. <laughs> I, it's hard to believe, right? It was a buck and a half upstairs, or a buck, I don't know, whatever it was. So, and he, you know, I've known him a long time. Affable guy, great player at, at his alma mater where he's back, and he he butted heads with Herb Williams. So you can't get right. more history than that. When Herbie right. was at Ohio State, they had some great matches, and I was on the road, and I'd stop off at either place and and see those guys. Uh, happy for him. Listen, it may hurt us a little bit, but uh, one comment on the game last night. I got the MSG go, and it's wonderful. Uh, would not watch the uh, you know visitors uh, station. They got everything down here. Uh, let me tell you something. It's a bad break for Mitchell, but this team yeah. got a lot of heart. They do. They just yeah. got a lot of heart, mm-hmm. and uh, they're not very talented, but they play hard. They go through the screens and pitch. You're noticing every one of those. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. and the free the free yeah the free throw shooting will live with it. Uh, Barrett's coming of age a little bit. You know, the shots what it is. He plays hard. He's getting a lot of minutes. And boy, Taj Gibson, the kid from Brooklyn, God bless him, man. I mean, what he did last night, uh, I, I tell you, this guy, this guy's a great coach, Larry. He's he a is. great coach. He is. There's no question they, about it. Do you see? Yeah. Do you see him call the timeout to, to the, the official, yes. the lady official standing there? You see that? This is what this guy does. And mm-hmm. I give Derek Rose a lot of props. I really mm-hmm. do. How sick he was to come back in. And uh, quickly, quickly, he's, he's you know he's, he stalks. He reminds me of stalks a little bit. You yeah. know, not the defensive end, but uh, no. you know he can shoot. And he comes in and livens it up. But we'll see, we'll see. Uh, New Orleans, no, you know, a little undersized. He's not Mitchell, but the injuries are part of the game. And I look forward to each and every game. And I think this team's going to get in. I think uh, that uh, who made a lot of moves, uh, Chicago. Chicago mm-hmm. got a couple of scores, and Orlando's out of it now. They've dumped everybody, so yep. so we'll see. And one thanks for the time. One question on the tournament: mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the Gonzagas they, they, were, they didn't play as good as they could today, uh, but the competition stepped up from where they play in college. Yes. They're a fine oiled machine. There, they, are. <laughs> uh, they really are. And uh, I remember, you know, when Sabonis played there, and even go back to Stockton. They're, they're, they're going to be tough to beat. But there's always upsets in these things, so you right. never know. If someone gets hot shooting threes, the game's over. So I, I leave you with this, and I'll catch you during the week. And thanks for getting me on and all the kind things you always say about me. Uh, you're a good friend, and you're a great broadcaster. Thank you, Spike. I appreciate you. Be safe down there. 1-800-919-3776. Hey, Richard in Manhattan, you're next on 98.7. Hey, Larry, before I uh, get on to the NCAA tournament, uh, you know Dr. Bobby Brown uh, passed away. Yes, yes. And I was reading one of the great things he did. You know, he was the one that banned uh, uh, smokeless tobacco, chewing tobacco Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in the minor leagues Mm -hmm. and brought a lot of awareness to that in the 80s and 90s. He was, you know, he was ahead of his time knowing all that stuff. Was. But ball players, I mean, I'm sure some of them still do, but he really made it aware. But as far as uh, Gonzaga, I don't ever remember a team being this rolling over, you know, steamrolling over teams like they are. I mean, they're not just winning, they are destroying everything. Now, I'll go back to Kentucky, what was that, 2015. They were good, very mm-hmm. good. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think they were steamrolling like they, you know, and they had the tough SEC conference to get compete right. against. I'll go back to UNLV. Mm hmm. You remember, but they didn't have to, you know, they're like Gonzaga. They don't have yeah. the same competition. Exactly. But they were steamrolling everybody until they lost to Duke in the final. Right. You'd have to go back to Indiana in 75. Mm-hmm. 
1975-76 when they won everything. Mm-hmm. You know, that team came to the Garden. During the holiday tournament, That's right, they Christmas did. The holiday, AC, yeah. AC holiday festival they used to have back. You remember that? Yes, I do. The first Talk round they played games. Columbia. Tom Penders was a Columbia coach. They asked him after the game. I think uh, Indiana won by sixty. He says, yeah. "What was the game? What was playing Indiana like?" And he says, "It was like Custer against the Indians." <laughs> I remember he said that. Yeah. And then you know who they beat in the final in that tournament, I Indiana? No. Mm-mm. Oh yes, you do, Larry. You're just not remembering right now. St. John's. And Louie had St. John's in that game the whole way. There was a kid on St. John's. Louie didn't start him. I think Louie was mad at him. I'll bet you remember the name. Frankie Alicia. Yeah, yeah, the name is familiar. Yes. Do you remember that? In the yes, finals, and he played a great game off the bench. They might have lost by six or eight in the ECAC final, the holiday festival. But that Indiana team was unbelievable. Obviously, Scott May, Wilkerson, uh, yeah. Quinn Buckner, Ted right. Benson, all those guys. And that team was unbelievable. But uh, right. Gonzaga is like that. That's yeah. why I would love to see a Gonzaga Baylor final. It would be Larry, when, do you remember the last time you saw a consensus one and consensus two like no. this? This no. will go back to the NBA days with the Bird versus Magic, L.A. versus Bird. Yeah, I mean, right. they were uncontested, those two teams' best teams. Yeah, you're right. Right? You're right. It would be interesting. I mean, especially in co- because in college you always have upsets along the way. And you never really see the two. I mean, you get close to it, but right. you never really see the two best. But Gonzaga today. Larry, one last thing on Syracuse last night. A very disappointing, very disappointing. Yeah, and you never got a feeling that they can match Houston's defense. Mm-hmm. But I feel good. I feel good for the city of Houston, and I wouldn't mind to see them win. What that poor city's been through with their three professional sports teams have been done, have done for, have done to them in this yeah. last few years. So University of Houston, boy, that would be a nice little thing for them to win, especially coming out of nowhere. It's going to be right. tough, but I'd love to see it. It is, but you Larry, know, did you see Penny Hardaway to today in the NIT final? I did not. No, I did not see. Oh, that. he won it, and afterwards he congratulated the city. He congratulated the school for winning first time. It was wonderful watching it. I'm looking forward. That's why I want to see Juwan Howard do the same in Michigan. Larry, It'd always nice. a pleasure. Good All right, thanks, you, Richard. Larry. Same here. One eight hundred nine one nine three seven seven six. Yeah, I don't remember that one, but I have covered a number of those ECAC holiday festivals at the Garden. All different. The different college teams, sometimes, you know, before the se- you know, preseason favorites and whatnot, all used to come through the garden. That was a fun time. Hardesty on a Sunday on 98.7 ESPN. Taking you back, this is a little tune from the late, great Wayman Tisdale. Had a fabulous NBA career and loved to play the guitar. Speaking of the NBA, pleasure to welcome in my first guest of the night. I had the pleasure of chatting with him and watch him be a part of some uh, some great work with uh, the Nets when they were in Jersey and, and in Brooklyn as well. And uh, Bobby Marks, welcome. And we could be looking at a rematch <laughs> of 2002. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, yeah, we certainly could be. I mean, with... Um... You know, what Brooklyn's been able to do, um, you know, besides Harden, Kyrie, and, and Kevin, and, you know, now you go out and get Blake Griffin a couple weeks ago and LaMarcus Aldridge and in L.A. with Andre Drummond now entering the picture. And I think the big question for that Laker team is just where are they health-wise with, uh, with Anthony Davis and 
and LeBron James, and we could be potentially looking at a rematch. I think I think that might be more of a competitive series this year, that yeah. year, this year, Larry, than, than what we saw back in 2002 because that Shaq Kobe team was. I don't think anybody was stopping them. No. Well, Bobby, listen, but but if you had a three like that, you you would have been more competitive. <laughs> we would have been in pretty good shape. I, I still might be still in the NBA too, Larry. <laughs> <had a> <laughs> like that. Things happen, my friend. You are right. Things happen. But uh, take us back into those front office conversations because here's the thing. We talk about Brooklyn. You got Blake Griffin. You got LaMarcus Aldridge. I mean, Bobby, is there such a thing as having too much talent? I know you got depth there. I know that's what you're looking for in the playoffs. And as we get further on, you start playing. You know, the first round, as I joke with people, game one is on Monday, game two is Thursday, and game three is the following week. But as you get further on in the postseason, you start going every other day. You want your deep – even though you're bench short, you kind of want depth there. But can you have too much talent? Oh, yeah. I mean, I saw it in um... – I saw it in in Brooklyn in um, you know the uh, the 2014 team that lost to Miami in the second round where I mean our our bench was really deep and what what happens is, is that I always I say it's you know kind of like too many mouths to feed here where everybody thinks they should be playing 20 to 25 minutes and I think as long as you know as Steve Nash and and uh, Sean Marks have kind of outlined what their plan is uh, they've had to sold Lamarcus Aldridge on a plan as far as where they see his minutes if it's starting probably or coming off the bench um, but you're right when you get into the um, when you get into the playoffs here um, the the rotations get short um, you know guys like Jeff Green who are playing 25 minutes probably won't see 25 minutes um, you know in in the playoffs but. Um, it's it's a great insurance policy when if they get to a conference finals and they're facing Philadelphia to have you know a, an Aldridge and a um, DeAndre Drummond Nick Claxton has um, uh, certainly played well um, but uh, yeah I think as you know one thing that Steve's done a really good job is kind of managing that locker room and kind of managing the expect expectations here with that group but um, I don't see it being an issue. Um, you know, I think you've got a lot of veterans here that are all trying to go win a championship, and that's the ultimate goal. Is it for depth, Bobby, or could it be, you know what, we're the, the injury to KD, first year back, you know, let's make sure we have enough depth up front so we, you know, don't have to pressure him and rush him back because he's, he's been gone a while, Bobby. Yeah, I mean, we're almost, I think we're on two months now without uh, out seeing Kevin Durant, and they've played, you know, they've lost three games maybe in that in that time frame, and um, you can ease him back in now with Blake there. Uh, you know, Blake played well the other night against Detroit. Uh, now with LaMarcus Aldridge, um, you know, certainly I mentioned Jeff Green and DeAndre Jordan, Nick Claxton. So you're, you're not, you know, you're not thin, and you can, you know, when you have Harden playing at a, you know, MVP level and you get Kyrie back on Monday, um, you'll, you're able to sustain you know, Kevin Durant being out right now just because you have so much depth. I know that the postseason, as we look ahead, Bobby, is is a different tempo. It's, it's a little different than the regular season mentally and physically. But all these bigs, does that, that kind of slow them down a little bit in transition? Yeah, because, you know, they when you watch them, they are more effective, I think, when Jeff Green is probably at the five. Um, and it gets allows them to get, get up and down a little bit you know, quicker, um, you know, when we get to a half court game, I mean, you have three closers on the court with, uh, with, with your big three. And um, there'll be times when you probably won't see a DeAndre Jordan, or maybe you won't see a LaMarcus Aldridge probably in the close, you know, at least we get to the last five or six minutes, unless, 
unless you need somebody out there to guard and then beat or, or maybe if Brooke is out there, Lopez, guys like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, in a league that we've gone kind of positionless, mm-hmm. you've got two guys in Aldridge and, and, um, and DeAndre who are a five. I mean, they're not guys that can guard, you know, fours and fives. I mean, they're strict fives right now. Our front office insider Bobby Marks is my guest. You're listening to the Larry Hardesty Show here on 98.7 ESPN. Bobby, let's talk about that Lakers team. You know what? This is not out of depth. They need Drummond <laughs> right now. Oh, they do. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, they had a win against Cleveland um, a couple days ago. But as I said, you know, they've you take two of the top ten players off a roster, and you are, you know, you're an average team right now. And um, they were trending, they're trending more towards the play-in game than rather, you know, a top top three seed here. And um, we're going to get a full dose of Andre Drummond over the next month before these guys get back here, and we'll see. I mean, the interesting with Drummond is, you know, he hasn't played in a, in a game um, for over, I believe, over a month here. So where is he kind of game shape? How is he going to be eased in? Um, but he was looking for an opportunity where he could start or he could play 30 minutes, um, and he was looking for an, uh, an opportunity where – He's basically auditioning, besides trying to help the Lakers win a championship, he's basically auditioning for when it comes to free agency in this, this offseason for you know, potential teams that have cap space. What is that, uh, once again, Bobby, on your expertise, what is that conversation like when you've got an Andre Drummond in Cleveland, you've got a Blake Griffin in, in Detroit, and you, you know that they're just not part of your future, and you actually sit them down, which really obliterates their trade value, and you have to just like, okay, we'll buy them out. We, we, just, we just don't want them to play. I mean, how do you reach that point with, with players like that? Well, we saw, you know, last night it was, you know, with um, Al Horford in Oklahoma City, um, too. That's another guy. And Al's got a ton of money left on his contract, over $50 million. So we saw it with Marcus Aldridge and San Antonio and Blake. And Blake had, you know, had two years, 50-plus left. Um, you know, Drummond, it's, it's, it's a hard situation because, as I said, you know, when you go through the buyout market and if that's what the player wants to do, they just lose so much leverage when it comes to, you know, when it comes to free agency as far as the options that they have. And if it's an agreement on both sides that that's what they want to do, um, I, I understand it. Um, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of it as far as sitting guys down because we want to play the younger players. I think, you know, maybe if it's, um, you know, the last 15 games of the season and, you know, we're out of the playoffs and we're, you know, not a lottery team, I can, I could understand it, but you know, we're, you know, we were at the midway point where all these guys sat down, but um, if both sides, you know, the agent and the player and the team have a somewhat of an agreement here, then, then you do that. And then you, hopefully you can get something of value. But when you look at Drummond, you know, he gave back basically what he'll earn in uh, with the Lakers when he signs that contract. So he didn't give up anything, you know, to sit out that, you know, that month of the season. Yeah, it's interesting. It, it's and listen, uh, James Harden was in that spot almost, right? In, in sense, not that they sat him down, but he sat himself down. <laughs> and then he comes over well, here. PJ Tucker, doing... yeah. I mean, there's the, we had a trend this year. I mean, we had PJ yeah. Tucker for a little while. I mean, he mm-hmm. wound up getting traded. We had James in that. Um, you know, if he had, you know, he would have been shut down if they hadn't traded him the next two or days. But it, the, I feel like this year was there was more of those type of there was you know six or seven of those those situations where the front office said, you know what, we're going to put this guy on the side and we're going to wait for a deal. And if we don't get a deal, then we're, you know, we're going to go look in, the, in that buyout market. Is this something that the league and the Players Association are going to have to talk about, Bobby? Because this could be a trend. <laughs> it, it could be. I mean, I think it has to, you know, the front office, too, and for these teams has to, you know, they're part of it. 
Uh, and I, I know we've seen an uproar over certainly Brooklyn signing Blake and um, LaMarcus and how the rules aren't fair here. But, you know, the, the, the teams agreed, you know, if it's San Antonio or if it's Detroit, they agreed to the buyout. Um, they felt it was in their best interest. And once that player hits that free agent market, you know, he's free game to sign with any of those, you know, other, other 29 teams. So it's interesting. We, you know, we've, we've seen a lot of buyouts in the last, I, I said it last night, the last five or six years. And the team that signed the most players is, is probably the smallest market in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. So it, if you have a, you know, if you have a high level team, championship level, uh, Eastern conference level, you know, quality, you know, Players that are bought out of their contract want to go to organizations that have a chance to go far in the playoffs. And, you know, Brooklyn, you know, hey, if this was 2016 or 2017 and, and Brooklyn was buried in the, in the bottom of the standings, they wouldn't be talked about for LaMarcus Aldridge or Blake Griffin. Mm-hmm. You're right. It would be they, they obtained an expiring contract and they're going to move on. <laughs> and that's, that's what it would have been. And, that, and that's what the NBA has been. That, that's the part of the NBA that, you know, gives, gives the other the lesser teams a chance, Bobby, to have some players but then move on and get what they want. Yeah, that's, that's how the business is, and it's been like that. And I don't, I don't see it changing unless something, you know, is added in the next round of, 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 of the CBA here. Couple more, I got to ask you. Uh, I can't, I can't let you go. We'll talk. I got a couple more about the league, but Bobby, when you, for you and as you have conversation with other front office people around the league, wh- what's been your reaction to the job Tom, Tom Thibodeau has done with this Nick team? When you see the talent on the floor that they have, probably the best off-season transaction that player or. You know, I guess we could put it up maybe with the Chris Paul trade in Phoenix, what Chris was able to do. Um, we don't talk about it enough, you know, when teams go out and hire a coach, it gets kind of lost in the shuffle, but uh, he has been probably the best transaction that it, that its organization has made, and uh, he has done a tremendous job with this roster. They're in every game. Um, they don't go on losing streaks. That's why they're, you know, they're going to make the playoffs either in the, in the top six or, you know, in, the, in this play-in uh, tournament, but he maximizes the most out of this group. Um, he maximizes the most out of the Alec Burks and the Nerlens Noels and the Reggie Bullets of the world. To get RJ playing at this level, um, borderline all-star level consistency, and certainly what Julius has been able to do, uh, he has done a great job. And I, and I said, if you, if you build it, they will come. You know, like what, what Brooklyn did a couple years ago, if you build it, it they will become a, distri- um, a free agent destination you know, with cap space in the next couple of years. They will be a destination when that next disgruntled all-star, whoever it's going to be, wants to get traded, and they see what New York has become. Um, and that's all you want from your coach. Um, and they've, they've managed the cap really well. Leon and his group have done a great job doing that. They've shown a lot of discipline here. But, uh, but yeah, they, um, but New York has, you know, Tibbs has done a, a tremendous job with this, with this group here. Bobby, I tell you, as a Nick fan, I was cringing. I'm like, are they going to have flashbacks and try to make a big trade and move some of these draft choices during the trade deadline because they want to make the postseason? You know, Larry, it's it's tempting. You know, I've been there. You know, when you're sitting on, you know, nine picks over the next seven years, you've got those two Dallas picks, and you've got, you know, $15 million in cap space at the time. You've got some young players, and you're kind of in that, you know, you're not with the big boys yet, but maybe you want to. Maybe you think you can. There is that temptation there, and I think when you have you know enough voices there that can kind of you know walk through each scenario if it makes sense, and it makes sense going out and get an Andre Drummond, or maybe it makes sense you know just filling your your final two roster spots with maybe some young players. 
Um, it's a tempting scenario here, and that's why I said they've shown some really good discipline. Bobby, Orlando. I mean, they. I know they were starting the day 15 games under 500, but they're only four and a half games under the 10th spot in the East. And you know, what a uh, two-week hot streak, and you're in it. They just moved. This just got rid of most of their players. What What's that conversation like in in the front office in Orlando to say, you know what? Yeah, we could get in, but let's be realistic. This is not where we're going. We're just going to retool and and, and rebuild. Yeah, I mean, I think it's circumstances. You know, certainly the Markel Fultz injury, him being lost for the season, changed the dynamic. You already had Jonathan Isaac out. Um, you were really decimated with, with injuries throughout the year. Aaron, Aaron Gordon missed a good chunk of change. Uh, Evan Fournier, too. And, and I think when you look at it, you have basically realistic expectations as far as where this roster currently is. You would have, if you had done nothing, uh, Fournier would have been a free agent. Uh, Gordon would have been going on an expiring contract, and you probably wouldn't have gotten as much value as you did with, with Vucevic. And it's a hard conversation because you basically are now – it's not a retool. It's a complete rebuild where you're not – you knocked the house down, and now you've got to build it from, from scratch. I mean, that this is the, the easy part was what they did on Thursday is now is the patience as far as to build through the draft. Uh, they'll have some cap space down the, down the road, but – the goal is that you need to land one of these marquee level draft picks prospects over the next year or two um, to give you a chance here. Because if you're, if you keep on drafting and missing, um, you just keep on spinning the wheels forever. Last thing, Bobby, is Toronto kind of on the outside looking in similar to Orlando? I mean, you look at who they've lost the past couple of years. I mean, Kawhi Leonard, Gasol, Ibaka, Danny Green, to name a few, and they made the trade you know, on the trade deadline. Are they looking to rebuild too a little bit? I think they're more of a retool. I think mm-hmm. when you look at they, they still have um, you know Siakam, uh, OG Ananobi, um, Van Vliet, uh, Gary Trent. They acquired in that trade who's going to be a restricted free agent. Kyle's still there. You got to figure out what you're going to do with um, with him. They'll have some money this off season, so there is still at least somewhat of a foundation there that you can build around those, you know, those three or four guys that I mentioned. So it's, it's not a complete, it's not a complete rebuild kind of where we see Orlando. There's, there's a talent there, but mm-hmm. you know, you have a roster that's really, you know, seven or eight deep. So there's, there's a lot of work to be done, but it, it, I don't look at it as a complete, complete rebuild. Bobby Marks. Thanks for a couple of minutes. My friend It's good talking to you after so many years. And uh, he's a great Twitter follow, ladies and gentlemen. I'll give you his uh, Twitter handle in a couple of minutes. Bobby, keep up the great work. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Larry. Appreciate it. All righty. Take care. Bobby Marks. What did you think about what he had to say about the Knicks and the Nets? 1-800-919-3776. Do the, right now, when you look at Brooklyn fans, I want to hear from you. Right now, when you look at your team, I mean, I don't see any reason why. I don't see any reason why you weren't going to win the title before. Even now, I mean, it should be a lock. Look at the depth on this front line. Now, yeah, the challenge is going to be, as Bobby mentioned, for for Steve Nash to, you know, juggle the minutes correctly, make sure that everybody gets a chance to to play, especially in the regular season, so that they are ready for the postseason. All right, because that's the biggest thing, because everybody knows your your, you know, your rotation gets smaller in the postseason. All right, but for certain matchups, yeah, this this gives them, if if they're going against. You know, Giannis and Lopez with Milwaukee, or they're going big against a, a, a Sixer team, or down the line now, if eventually, 
even as Doc Rivers put out that he thought that it was the Lakers and, and the Clippers who were going to represent the West with all due respect to Denver and Utah. Um, you know, when you have this with a possible Drummond, uh, you know, front line along with LeBron and, and uh, Anthony Davis, you know, um, is that is you're 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 ready to go with that? Okay, you can battle that. So how do you feel about this team? You should be. I mean, if I were a Brooklyn Nets fan, I would be ecstatic right now. I would just be like, oh, we we can go. We're good. And the other side of it, you do have KD depth. You've got KD insurance policy, and for him now, all you want to do is bring him back slowly, have him ready for the postseason. That's all you need from him. You don't need anything else from him just to be ready for the postseason. Bring him back whenever you want. No rush. And coming out of the East, you're going to be, I I think, you're going to be no lower than the third seed with the talent that you've got and the way that James Harden has been. He's been, just been phenomenal since he's arrived. So I want to hear from the Net fans at 1-800-919-3776. Nick fans, how nice does it feel for people around the league to talk positively about your squad. And were you as nervous as I was on the trade deadline day? And yeah, Bobby Marks told you in the front office, you do have those conversations, right? We, we're, we're right there. Let's get somebody so we can get to the postseason, especially for a team that hasn't been to the postseason in years. How nice is it to not be mentioned as a laughingstock around the league? The Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. Hour number two. Thanks for stopping by on this Sunday. So for Sunday, we like to call it at 1-800-919-3776. Hello, Phyllis Hyman to join us in the uh, second hour. In about 15 minutes, we'll be joined by Rich Samini. Speaking of the landscape of the NFL changing, what are the Jets going to do? We'll get his thoughts about that. We'll turn our conversation to the National Football League with uh, Rich Amini at, at uh, 7.15. We'll also talk Giants in that segment. A little later in the show, we'll be joined by Christy Ackert. That's next hour. And we'll check out what's going on with the Yankees as we get closer and closer to opening day, right? Wow. A full season of baseball. Can you imagine? No 60-game sprint this time. 162, hopefully. <laughs> okay, hopefully, hopefully, 162. That's what we're looking for. That's what we're hoping for in this uh, in, in for this upcoming uh, baseball season. So as we were talking about the NBA, you know, this is, as we were sharing with Bobby Marks, this is, it's really interesting to watch how other teams look, especially in the East, how other teams view their possibilities for improvement, right? And, and you look at Orlando and you look at, I mean, this is a team that's not out of it, as bad as the, as bad as the record is. And the injuries, obviously, I get it. That, that made them look at the season differently. But you've got these guys coming back. I know you had a couple of restricted free agents, okay? But still, I mean, they've had some quality wins. And they could have been buyers okay 
at the trade deadline instead of sellers. But we get it. They understood that they're, they're just not happy and they're feeling like, okay, we have to make too many adjustments to the team. Let's just tear it down and build it up again. And, you know, it's it's kind of frustrating if you're a Magic fan because, you know, you've had really good years. You had really good years with Shaq and Penny. You had some really good years with Dwight Howard down there, especially the Superman year where he just was phenomenal. But really, since then, it's it's been a franchise that's been, you know, really down. It's not been a franchise that's, you know, been able to sustain some success. So it'll be interesting to see what they do uh, in the division. And, and listen, as a Nick fan, you want to see what everybody in your division is doing. That's why I asked Bobby about Toronto and, and what they're going to do. I mean, you look at the players that they've lost. I mean, the Baca they lost, Kawhi Leonard they lost, Danny Green they lost, Gasol they lost. Um, you know, this. What, what do you do? What What is the goal? What is your thought process for what you want to do with your team going forward? You know, and Toronto, though, they, they've got a scenario where they can retool. They're not in a, and I agree with Bobby, they're not in a rebuild situation. They're in a retooling situation. They're in a scenario where they just have to get a couple more folks. You know, the big signing was to keep Van Vliet, who I wanted. Um, and, you know, they were able to keep him, and they've got a couple of homegrown products up there, and, you know, uh, we'll see what the front office is going to do with them. But, listen, for me, as Michigan State rolls on, they will face the uh, UCLA-Alabama winner, and that game will tip off in about 10 minutes. Um. I'm just very curious to see how other teams work things out. Out West is going to be interesting as well because what happens, okay, to to the Lakers? I mean, you know, Pelicans are, are right there <laughs> knocking on the door. And speaking of the Pelicans, what are they going to do with LaMelo? What are they going to do? Are they going to sign him? I mean, you know, all conversations, all, all rumors are that they're not. He is a restricted free agent. I know they don't want to get into a bidding war, uh, but, you know, and of course, but restricted, they have the last, you know, they have the last uh, opportunity to sign. So they get to, you know, say what they want to do and, and put in their salary request last. So that is okay. That helps them. But, you know, you have to make a decision. You know, do you, are, are you, uh, do you feel that you, listen, you want to keep the team together. You're trying to build them together. You're trying to build a young team and have them grow together. That's what you want to do. You've got Zion who's played well. You know, you've got, and that team is, is gelling. It's starting to build. And so you really want to keep him. But then again, the question is, all right, I want to keep him, but at what what is my price that I know I'm keeping him, but it's not hurting me to keep him? <laughs> that I might as well just let him go and – you know, take my chances with another player and get going. So uh, that's going to be curious. And and because of the fact that it's about free agency, listen, Nick's got dough and are in desperate need of a point guard. I mean, desperate, desperate need of a point guard. You heard in the update at the top of the hour, no KD for tomorrow or probably for the week. And listen, if I'm the Nets, and I'm serious, I don't, I'm don't. i not even thinking about playing him. 
until he is. I don't. I don't have to see him till. I mean, the end of next month. I don't need to see him until we're we're talking, maybe two or three weeks before the postseason begins. So I'm not. I don't need to see him till the end of April, early May. Why do I need? What do I need to see him for? I want him as healthy as possible for that long playoff run. And now that I've got all this depth up front, I mean, the Nets went from a team that people felt they were going to be killed on the boards to a team who right now might be too big in the sense of they might be, depending on how you intermatch and what your lineup looks like, they might be a team that can be run on because you've got big guys who are, you know, a little slow. I mean, and, and you know, for Net fans, you see it. When when uh, Green plays at the five, this is a – the team spreads the ball. They're spread out. They're hard to, to uh, defend. I mean, they're hard to defend anyway, but when you spread the – when you can spread the floor the way they can spread the floor, please. That's going to be a challenge, all right? And especially if Harden continues to play the way Harden has played. And he has been he has played like an MVP candidate. You can't take it away from him. He has played like an MVP candidate. The question is going to be Will the voters just look at what he's done on the court with the Nets? Or are the voters going to say, Yeah, he's been great, but I'm not real happy about what he did in Houston to get out of there. Okay. I'm not real happy to the point that DeMarcus Cousins was calling him a bad teammate. DeMarcus Cousins, who's, listen, fabulous player. At one time, was many considered him the best big man in, in the game. Okay? But he'll never be considered for the, you know, all-teammate team. <laughs> and, and he was calling out James Harden for being a bad teammate. So, do you, do you, if you're voting for the MVP, right, in the NBA, do you take that into consideration or do you just say, listen, that was that, that's behind him, look what he was able to do with this Nets team, and he has gone from a guy that we were saying, really, do they really need James Harden? Yeah, I'm sorry, not they, me. <laughs> I was among them. Do they really need James Harden? Do they really need James Harden? And the answer is, yeah, they really do, and they have. And it makes me look at Mike D'Antoni's offense a little differently now that I see what he had uh, the beard doing in Houston and what I'm seeing the beard do here with Brooklyn. It's a totally different player. Now, if he can continue this in the, in the postseason, it's going to rewrite how you look at James Harden. <laughs> It's the Larry Hardesty Show on the Sunday on 98.7 ESPN. As the songs say, I like, where Rich Samini joins us because he's got the latest on what's going on with the Jets and there's always something changing. Rich Samini, welcome. Hey, Larry. How you doing? Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Good to have you, my friend. Um, Rich, we've gone over this quarterback situation a lot, so I'm going to continue it. <laughs> 
you had an article on the website uh, a couple of days ago about BYU's uh, Zach Wilson showing off the big arm for the Jets. From the folks you spoke with, what was the most what 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 was the most impressive thing that that folks from the Jet front office took from his uh, presentation that day? Well, I think they had a pretty good idea of what they were going to see. I mean, uh, most of the evaluation is based off tape, but I think what they saw was someone with a unique arm talent in that he could, and he said this afterwards when we spoke to him on the Zoom call, his goal in the, in the pro day was to try to do things that's different that other quarterbacks can't do. So you saw him making a lot of uh, off-balance throws, off-platform throws, uh, highlighted, I think it, it might have been his last throw or maybe very close to the end where he had that one that went viral where he was rolling to the left and he just kind of did a fadeaway and threw across to the opposite hash. I think it was about 50 yards in the air. And so that was kind of the showstopper that caught everyone's attention. So I, I think the Jets were pretty impressed by that. And, um, you know, I, you know, you hope they don't base an evaluation off one pro day. I mean, that's not how it's supposed to be done. They're supposed to base it off the tape. But I think everyone there in attendance probably came away impressed. Now, Rich, I think that the Jets kind of know who they want to pick and, and they're going through the process. And, and really, unusually, especially the years I covered the team, Rich, and you've been there longer than I have, they, there's not a leak that's come out of that building. They've done a nice job in keeping quiet what they tend to do. But um, nevertheless, it just seems as though that, that Wilson is going to be the guy. So with all the changes in the National Football League for teams for quarterbacks, Rich, what do they do with Sam Donald now? Is there a landing spot for him? Well, you know, like every NFL team, you know, they're being pretty hush-hush uh, at this point because they have different situations, delicate situations that they don't want to, uh, you know, they don't want to, contaminate any situation by tipping their hand and you mentioned the Darnold situation so it's a really delicate balance let's say they've decided that Zach Wilson is their guy and, and I agree with you Larry I think uh, I, I think that'll end up being their choice so you know they have to decide you know to trade Sam Darnold but you don't want to you don't want to give him away for nothing or a minimal amount so what you have to do is you you have to try to maximize your leverage, and really the leverage there is to try to keep your draft secret, your draft you know, pick secret for as long as possible, and then try to do it simultaneously. Because once they pick a quarterback at number two, if it's Zach Wilson, then Sam's trade value immediately diminishes. You know, it's, Then everybody knows that they have to trade him. So what they have to try to do is stir up a market you know, for Sam while also, you know, you know, basically they're playing both sides of the fence and not tipping their hand either way. And so I think what will happen is that Sam will end up getting traded on, on the, you know, if not the first day of the draft, then, then on the second day of the draft. Um, you know, I don't think they've made up their mind for sure. I mean, look, someone, we just saw San Francisco make an unbelievable offer, you know, to Miami, giving up three number ones to move up. Um, if the Jets are sitting there the day before the draft and someone calls like Carolina with the eighth pick and gives them an unbelievable offer, I'm sure the Jets would consider that. But as we speak right now with the information we have, I, I think the choice will probably be Zach Wilson. Could you see, based on that's an interesting point, Ritz, because based on that, could you see a scenario that they would go with, let's say, perhaps their second best choice at quarterback? Maybe, let's say, hypothetically, would be Trey Lance, okay? And you make that deal – you move further down, then you still get a young quarterback. 
Yeah, the the only uh, so so yeah. I mean, so you move down, and, and some people even toss out the idea of them even switching places with San Francisco and moving down one spot, and you know, and then taking a quarterback at three, and you know, picking up you know an extra couple of picks. You know, maybe a, you know San Francisco and Chicago made this, the same trade a few years ago when Chicago went up one spot to get Trubisky, and I think. They had to give up a three and a four in that year's draft and then a three the following year. So let's say the Jets did that trade and they get the same thing, a three and a four and then a three the following year. You know, they could do that, and then they would have to take the third quarterback on their board. But at that point, why get cute? I mean, if if you really think Zach Wilson is your guy, then why – you know, why try to do something there and, and try to outsmart everybody? Just take the guy at two, you know, so you get a few extra draft picks. There's going to be a gap between your second and third quarterback. Um, I would I would just stay there at two, and I think that's what they do. I'd be surprised if they made a trade like that. Ritz is my guest. You're listening to the Larry Hardesty Show here on 98.7 ESPN. Rich, also one of your articles on the website, talks about Robert Sala and – what he's been able to bring to this Jet team. And it's it just seems to be it's one of the rare times, other than possibly Rex Ryan, Rich, that you've heard people say, I'm coming to the Jets because of, you know, I really like what this coach brings to the table, especially a guy who doesn't have any previous head coaching experience. Yeah, that's the one thing that struck me, because, you know, we do all these Zoom calls after the players sign. We've done a few of those uh, already. And, and the one thing that each player, you know, just seemed to go out of his way to say, you know, how they spoke to uh, Robert and how they were uh, influenced by him and recruited by him and the message he was sending. And then, of course, you know, we're, you know, modern technology. These players are researching the coach on YouTube and doing, you know, watching his video, his interviews and just, you know, how he conducts himself publicly. I think players look for that. You know, I, I think they do some research on their own. Now, look, we'd be naive to say, that that's the reason they're basing their decisions. It all comes down to money. I mean, but if the money's close or if it's tied between the Jets and another team and, you know, the coach is really buying what, what Salah's selling, then, yeah, I do think that's a factor. And that's the one thing that struck me that I didn't get the impression under the previous coaching staff was that these guys seem to be genuinely excited about coming because of coaching. And, you know, not to say that no one ever – you know, praised Adam Gase in these conference calls, you know, in past years. But it just seems to be a little bit more earnest this year, a little more a little more transparent with what the players are thinking. Well, you know, Rich, before coming, the only person that kind of praised Adam Gase was, uh, you know, Peyton Manning <laughs> before he got here, you know. so Yeah, Peyton and Frank Gore, who was, of course, a, a big Adam Gase. Uh, but the thing that struck me is, like, the first the, – the biggest signing under Adam – was Le'Veon Bell, and Bell, I went back and checked my notes, he spent about half his first press conference uh, with the media, you know, commenting on on reports that Gase didn't want him, so I think the Jets have come a long way since that from two years ago, you know, from that to players, you know, actually going out of their way to say they came here because of Robert Sala. No question about that. Rich, I think they did a pretty good job overall uh, in free agency. Um, you know, they, they addressed some needs, clearly. My biggest concern is the offensive line still. And, you know, look, Joe Douglas, it's, it's, it, you roll the dice with these, you know, these free agent 
acquisitions. But, you know, as a guy who was an old lineman, you know, his free agency work with old linemen, Rich has not been stellar. It's It's been a little spotty. And this, no matter who's back there, this is the one thing. You know, I, I joke with the audience. I tell them, you know, all these offensive different gadget plays and four wides and all this other stuff. The bottom line is, if it's not handled in the trenches, none of that stuff works. And we saw that with Kansas City in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Well, you're right. Right now, it's the same five starters as last year. And uh, that's not good because, you know, last year's offensive line, by all the metrics that we have at our disposal now and all the analytics, the Jets were about ranked 29th, 30th, or 31st, 32nd, anywhere in that neighborhood in all of those different categories. And so right now, on paper, it's the same five guys. Uh, you know, I think, you know, they, they were interested in Joe Tooney from New England, but, you know, he went to Kansas City for $16 million a year. There was no way the Jets were going to outbid Kansas City. Kansas City, you know, defending conference champ, you know, with the best quarterback in the league. I mean, he was not going to turn down that offer. I thought the Jets should have gone after Corey Lindsley from Green Bay at center. Mm -hmm. uh, they were not interested as it turned out. I thought they would be. Uh, I thought that was a mistake. He ended up going to the Chargers. And so the Jets are banking on improvement from Connor McGovern. They saw some improvement later in the year. Um, when he got a little healthier, he had been dealing with a hamstring for the early part of the year. So they're hoping he gets better. And they still have the same two guards, Alex Lewis, you know, and Greg Van Roten. And I think the draft, you know, is a possibility. You know, there's a, the kid from USC, uh, a guard whose name I can't even pronounce right now. I will by the time we get to the draft. But he's a possibility at 23. I mean, there's a few guards they could, they could pick. So I don't necessarily think they're going to go into the season with the same five starters. I think they'll probably have someone new at guard, perhaps a rookie. But, yeah, that is the one concern in free agency is the offensive line. Before I get your thoughts on the other free agent acquisitions, Rich, Makai Becton, he, he had a – I thought he had a pretty good season. But the concern for me was he missed – you know, he missed some times. He seemed to be battling with aches and pains. Is, is that a concern? Uh, for this Jet team, for a young player to you know go through those those struggles of injuries in this first season. Well, I think he ended up playing about eleven or twelve games, so I, you know I don't think it's a concern at this point. I think rookies were thrown into a really difficult situation last year because of COVID. There was no off-season conditioning program. Uh, you saw how that affected Denzel Mims. He came in. And right away, he's pulling hamstrings. And we don't see Denzel Mims until, I think, midway through the season. So, really weird year. So, I'm not going to put a lot on that. Now, he did have that shoulder thing that flared up. You know, I think he battled that the second half of the year. I'm talking about Beckton now. And so, keep an eye on that. But, uh, no, I think I think everything's pointed upward with Makai. I thought he had a really good rookie year. Uh, Got to watch his weight. I think he gained some weight toward the end of the year. So he even admitted that that's something he's got to do a better job of watching. But I, I think he's got all the potential in the world. Rich, free agency-wise, offensively, they got some more receivers. Um, I think they're a little better than they were last year. Well, they ha they have to be better at receiver. Can't can't go in the other direction. Uh, it was so yeah. I mean, I thought Corey Davis was a good pickup. Uh, you know, they they paid a, a handsome price, twenty-seven million guaranteed. But I think they get a, a guy who's in his prime. It's only his second contract. I thought you saw an emphasis there with Joe Douglas trying to get guys going into their second contract instead of getting, you know, retreads going into their third contract. 
So he's a guy who's 6'3". I think you got two six foot three wide receivers on the outside with him and Mims. And the thing about Davis, and I dug this up a little bit, and I had it in my notes column. So the Jets were the worst league, worst in the league last year on tight window throws. I mean, I think they completed less than 20% of their passes into tight windows. And Davis actually led the league in, in catch percentage among wide receivers on tight window throws. So you're going to get a guy with a big catch radius who's going to win his fair share of 50-50 balls. And that's why, you know, those kind of receivers – and the Jets haven't had one of those guys since Brandon Marshall. Mm. But they're a quarterback's best friend. And no matter who's playing quarterback, I think that'll be a big help. Uh, a couple of thoughts defensively. I like what they did, Rich. I'm just curious, what can we expect from C.J. Mosley? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, C.J.'s status, I think, is up in the air. I mean, I think right now, uh, you know, he's obviously is on the roster, uh, but they signed Jared Davis from uh, Detroit. Uh, he's going to play. Davis, they didn't get him to be a backup. He's going to play. They're saying that he can move to the outside. I think they got him with the idea of playing him in the middle. So the question with CJ, what happens to CJ? I think, and I've been told they're open to trading him. I think they're listening. It's going to be difficult because of his contract. You know, the Jets gave him that you know ridiculous contract two years ago. So he's owed 14 million in guaranteed money over the next two years. It's going to be tough to find a team to pick up that much money. Uh, cap wise, they can do it. They can trade him. It doesn't hurt too much but it's a matter of finding a team that's going to pay that. They probably have to pay some of it themselves or make one of those NBA-type trades mm. where they actually have to pay a little to get a team to take him off their hands. So I'm not ready to write him down in ink yet, Larry. I don't think he's a, a, a lock for the opening day lineup. I think the Jets, if the right deal came along, would move him and play Davis in the middle. Who's the backup quarterback, Rich? Well, uh, yeah, that's another good question. We got a lot of holes in this roster, but uh, you know, uh, it's not going to be Morgan. You know, they they drafted him last year in the fourth round. I know this drives Jets fans crazy because they used a fourth round pick on a developmental player. He redshirted last year. They can't entrust him with the backup job because he did not see preseason action last year because there was no preseason. So. Uh, they're going to have to go out and get a veteran. You know, I think they did have some interest in Joe Flacco. Uh, not a lot of interest, but he, of course, goes to Philadelphia. And so I threw this out in my notes this morning. I think Gardner Minshew would be an interesting possibility. Mm. The, the Jaguars are going to trade him because they just signed C.J. Beathard. We know they're going to draft Trevor Lawrence. And so uh, Minshew's the odd man out. He's still got two years left on his contract at $1.6 million. He's very affordable, and he's got starting experience. So I, I think he'd be a good fit in that offense. Uh, other than that, there's really not a lot out there right now. Alex Smith is probably the most noteworthy unrestricted free agent. Uh, probably, you know, I don't know if he'd want to go into that kind of role. Or if they wait out, you know, Nick Mullins from um, – San Francisco is a free agent. He's coming off an elbow injury and may not be ready for training camp. So that possibly is a down-the-road option for the Jets. You can always find out what's going on with the Jets by checking out with our guy, Rich Samini, and also he's got some great interviews and notes on the flight deck, so all those you can find on ESPN.com. As always, Rich, thanks for a couple of minutes. We'll talk soon, my friend. Always my pleasure, Larry. Have a good one. All right, you too. Rich Samini. All right, what do you think? 1-800-919-3776. Your thoughts on the Jets and what they've done. Should they trade C.J. Mosley? Or do you want to at least see him for a season 
and then you could trade him next season and he'll be more of a deal because he'd only be seven million would be guaranteed because he's got one more year. Do you think that Robert Sala could use a guy like CJ Mosley? I for one would like to see him still on the team. But listen, if if, if you get a deal for him and you can get some more draft choices, you know, for a team that has a lot of holes, that might be the way to go. On a Sunday on 987 ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. Also via Twitter at Hardest to ESPN at ESPN NY 98 underscore 7 FM. Little Ashley and the Simpson on this soulful Sunday. Let's talk Yankee baseball. For that, we turn to a young lady who does a phenomenal job for the Daily News covering the New York Yankees. She is Christy Ackert. She's a friend of the show. Christy, how are you? I'm good, Larry. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. All right, Christy, let's start with it. If it's the Yankees, there's got to be some injury news. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, uh, you've got Michael Talkman who hurt, you know, fouled the ball off his leg today. But they're not going for x-rays. They're waiting to um, see how he feels tomorrow. I mean, you know, we've got Zach Britton. Going to miss, you know, oh, Luke Voigt, you're going to miss a few weeks. I'm sorry, I'm I'm blanking here on all the injuries. Um, mm-hmm. Luke Voigt is going to miss, you know, they're saying three weeks. I would say probably, you know, he's three weeks after surgery. I'd say late May maybe is a generous, you know, he could be back. Um, But, you know, for the Yankees, after having covered them through 2019, it seems like a light injury list, to tell you the truth. Um. You know, it's a big hit with Voight, obviously, but, you know, this is a lineup that can absorb that. You know, they have a lot of sluggers. So, and it'll be interesting to see Jay Bruce added to that lineup, mm. a lefty power bat in a, you know, in a ballpark designed for, you know, a lefty power hitter. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, you know, I, usually we're talking about Aaron Judge Stanton, you know, the, the big boys being injured, but, you know, they've gotten through spring training, knock on wood, with one day to go healthy. Yeah, that is a, a little surprising uh, that they were able to keep those big guys. And you know what? But here's the thing, Christy. They're kind of due. You, we're kind of due to have a regular season where Aaron Judge is able to perform without, you know, injury, where uh, Giancarlo Stanton was able to perform without injury. Uh, I want before I get to that, I want to go back to this Jay Bruce situation now. Christy, were they going to keep him? Were they going to sign him, or was this kind of, well, you know what? Now that we have Voight on the injury list, we better take him, or was it kind of just it just happened to fall that way? You know, they liked him. I think they didn't want to have to give up Mike Talkman for him. Um, they definitely weren't going to just cut Mike Talkman. You know, he was out of minor league options. If they had optioned him, they would have lost him. Um, you know, there are a lot of people in that organization, in that front office, who have wanted to see Jay Bruce in that in that stadium for a couple years now. Um, you know, Tim Naring, the director of baseball operations, you know, he was in player development when Bruce was drafted with the Reds. So, you know, there, it, there's, you know, there's been some interest in Bruce for a long time. Um 
but you know they had to they had to work the roster and as things tend to do in baseball um it seems to work itself out at the end yeah i remember a couple of years ago when he was with the mets there was this little uh misunderstanding <laughs> between the two teams about trying to have yeah. him and not you know so they they end up getting him and and as you mentioned a left-handed bat, which is something that a lot of the crit- fans who have criticized the Yankees for not having en- enough left-handed bats in that stadium, listen, he, if he gets a hold of one, uh, he can do some damage, and he's not a hack at first base. No, I mean, he's he's it's something he's had to work on. You know, I mean, I remember in when I was covering the Mets and he was with the Mets, you know, it was something he was a little, I think, frustrated with because he didn't want to go in and, and look bad at it. He's clearly worked at it very hard, I mean, from what I've seen. Um, you know, he's he's worked, he worked hard to be, you know, good over there. And the thing about it, he's got the track record. You know, he's got 318 career home runs. That's nothing to sneeze at. And, you know, in that ballpark, and, and let's be honest here, you know, the Yankees have been good at finding those pieces that maybe everybody else overlooks that fit their ballpark, you know. So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, he's going to have a chance to play a lot here to start the season. So we'll see what he's, you know, if he, he looks healthy this spring. Um, he may be faded a little bit down the end. Um, but, you know, if he's got something left, I think he can do some damage. And it does change that lineup. Yeah, definitely it does. Christy Eckert's my guest. You're listening to the Larry Hardesty Show here on 98.7 ESPN. All right, Christy, so Aaron Boone has announced his starting rotation, and what's interesting to me in announcing it was Domingo Herman is in the number three spot, if I remember correctly. He's had, you know, for all the the issues and everything and distractions and and players and comments and things that's happened because of his off-field situation, on the field he's picked up right where he left off a couple of years ago. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I had a scout tell me this um, spring that, you know, he, I, you know, I told him I was going to write about the battle for the fifth spot, and he laughed. He's like, Domingo Herman is your second-best starter. Um, you know, he, his stuff is really, really good. His command has out, been outstanding. Um, he's looked really sharp. I mean, he honestly has been their second-best pitcher this spring. Um so, yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised by it at all. Um, you know, you want him up at the top front end of your, your rotation. I think what is also interesting when they announced their bo- their rotation today, they're already starting with, you know, I guess it's a big buzzword in the NBA, workload management. Mm. Uh, load management, you know, with Jamison Tyone's going to get skipped the first time through because they're going to, you know, ease him in. You know, that's something you have to think about with Herman, too, because if you remember at the end of 2019 when he uh, got suspended, or you know, they were starting to move him into the bullpen to piggyback because he had never pitched more than 140-some-odd innings before. And they were a little worried about fatigue down the end and what, you know, how to use him in the, you know, in the playoffs. So you're going to have to watch his, you know, how he does going deep into games, how many innings he can give you. Um, I think you're going to see them use seven to nine to ten starters this year. Hmm. Is is this the the question that Brian Cashman has always been asked? I know he's been asked while you were there when I was covering the team. He was always asking, "Is this going to be one of these uh, 
of six man rotations, Christy, where one guy, you know, you get like five or six days off. And if that's the case, man, uh, you know, uh, Tanaka would love to come back. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I know there's some people that would love to have him back. Um, you know, I, I think you're going to see that. I mean, in April, they have so many days off that they're probably, they might need one six day, six starter. I think you're going to see that throughout baseball though. I, I honestly do because of the strange workload last year, the, the, you know, ramp up, stop, ramp up quickly, pitch a very strange workload for them. And then, you know, go into this year. I mean, every executive I've talked to has said the, the big unknown this year is how many innings you're going to get out of your pitchers. I think you're going to see um, a six man. I think you're going to see piggybacks, you know, to, to, Managed workload. I think you're going to see, you know, David Garcia got optioned. I think you're going to see him, you know, probably by May because they are going to try and keep these guys healthy and, you know, save their bullets for October. Tyon and Kluber, how have they looked to you? You know, Kluber had a rough inning this today, um, but like a veteran watching him just kind of go back out there and, okay, I figured this out. I figured that out. Okay, I'm good. Um, he looked like a veteran. He looked like a pitcher who knows how to pitch. Um, he's got good stuff. Uh, his velocity is probably down a tick from when his, you know, heyday was, but I don't think that matters because he's, he's, he really knows how to command and, and, and put a, a pitch where he wants to. Tyone um, has looked good. It's hard to tell when a guy's coming back from Tommy John, and I've never watched someone come back from the second one. Um, you know, he's looked good at times. He's, you know, had times where he's looked a little sluggish. I've had scouts say that his stuff doesn't look as sharp as it did in the past, but I think it's really hard to say for a guy who's not only coming back from Tommy John, then sat out an extra, you know, a couple months when he should have been pitching because of last year being so strange. Um, it'll be interesting to see how he, he gets out of the gate here. You know, it's been a long time since he's pitched in front of fans, and luckily there'll be fans back in the stadium when we get there. And, um, it, you know, it, the adrenaline obviously goes up a bit. His velocity will go up a bit. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, Christy, I'm very curious to see what Boone is going to do in the bullpen now. We talked about Zach Britton. You mentioned his injury. And he was, you know, a lock in that eighth inning spot. Uh, what do you see them doing? And I know it's going to be a, probably a mix and match situation early, but what, what do you kind of see going on with that eighth, that eighth inning position? You know, I, I think if Justin Wilson's healthy, um, you'll see that. You know, this kid that they had last year, Nick Nelson, I mean, he had one bad outing last year, but they loved him. And he can throw hard and he can get out. And I think you're going to start to see him move into – higher leverage situations. Chad Green, they trust. You'll see him move into high, you know, that situation. They're going to mix and match it until Britain gets back. You know, I think what's going to be interesting, those first two games, Chapman is suspended. So, mm. you know, who's going to close if they need a closer against the Blue Jays? Probably Chad Green, I would think. Um, but I think you're going to see Nick Nelson get a bigger role than people expect this year. Yeah, that's interesting because he did he did pitch well, uh, as you mentioned, just in one of, just a couple of occasions where you were a little he didn't do what you expected, but he he's he's shown them, he's shown a little moxie with you know Christy he he's a guy that 
you know, he, he battles. And that's what you love to see in your young pitchers. And scouts say he looks like he belongs out there. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, he's got nasty stuff. Um, he's got confidence on the mound. He's got a good presence on the mound, which is what rookies tend to struggle with sometimes. You know, he, he looks like he owns it. Um, you know, he's going to learn how to pitch a little more because he's young and he's still learning how to deal with hitters, and hitters will adapt to him. But, yeah, he's got good stuff, and I – you know, I I think a lot of people like him. It'll be interesting to see him, you know, grow into whatever role they want for him this year. Christy, while everybody's talking about what they expect from Gary Sanchez, I'm looking for just an outstanding season from Glaber Torres. I've seen a couple of games uh, in spring training. He looks, he looks clearly. He he came. He didn't eat as much in the off season this year than he did last <laughs> year. <laughs> That's clear. And he just he he looks he looks more like the Glaber Torres we we've seen previously. Yes, and, uh, you know, I mean, you, players can say all the time that they don't listen to what's being said about them. I'm pretty sure that he heard every criticism last year. He certainly came in this spring motivated to prove some people wrong. You know, I mean, you know, and good timing for him because that class of shortstops that's going to be free agents next year is pretty good. He looks good. Um, he looks in shape. He's looked better at shortstop than I thought he would be, um, you know, and I think part of that you have to give a lot of credit to bench coach Carlos Mendoza because he does a really good job working with him all winter and then also positioning him. Um, him and DJ LeMay, he looked really good together. Um, and, you know, he showed, what was it yesterday? He had two home runs. I mean, he's got some pop in his bat again. I mean, I think there was a time when maybe he thought getting a little bigger uh, gave him a little more power. Well, he's found his power again, and he looks healthy. And you know, yeah, I, I would expect a big year from him. Was there any oppor- Was there any thought in your mind that Tyler Wade would have a little challenge in making this club? I mean, I, I was listening to Kay on, on the show, and he's been talking about how there's been some other guys who really are going to challenge and put, you know, make Tyler Wade work for his position this year while he plays so many different positions. Uh, was there ever a chance for you being down there every day that you thought that they might consider, you know, not have, make, having him make the big team? Well, it's not guaranteed yet, as they've reminded us. But, um, you know, when Dietrich was, you know, signed, yeah. I mean, you could see that. But he got hurt early in camp, you know, and missed a few games. And it was kind of like he had to catch up. So, no. I mean, Boone, Aaron Boone likes what, the versatility that Wade gives him on the bench, it gives him a, you know, a security blanket in that he can play the outfield, he can play multiple infield positions, um, it gives him some speed if he needs it, it gives him you know some defense up the middle if he needs it. The odds were always that Tyler Wade was going to make the team. I got two more for you, Christy. Is this the year that finally we get to see Hicks and <laughs> – and Stanton and Judge play like at least a hundred games. <laughs> uh, well, you know the Yankees invested all that money into bringing in Eric Cressy and uh, you know redoing their whole medical and training staff. So I would say we better. Um, you know this is, you know, Stanton is pretty much preaching it this winter, <laughs> this spring. You know how, and he does. He looks incredibly healthy i thought he was really healthy and good in the playoffs last year mm-hmm. and it's kind of been a continuation of that um you know and judge 
yeah, he looks healthy too. And he looked really healthy knocking the ball out of the ballpark the other day um, for his only home run. But I, I would got I would think so. I mean, Gary looks re- in really good shape to me. Um, you know, this is a big year for them. I mean, yeah. I you know, we were talking to Judge the other day, and he said we still haven't done anything, and you know that's very true. <laughs> you know, they have not won an American League pennant. This is, you know, and, and we're coming up on when these guys are going to become free agents. The window's closing. It's time. Yeah, there's no question about it. Last thing. Do you see Florio getting a chance to be on this team? Uh, he's been so highly touted, uh, Christy. And, you know, it's a numbers game. You look at that outfield, I don't know how he expects to get in there unless, you know, you're going to rotate maybe injury or something like that, you know, and – I'm knocking wood for the Yankee fans. You don't need that from your everyday players again. But you know, just to you know, just to give him a chance to play, it's just it's so frustrating. It's it's you've heard so much about him, you want to see him play, and it's just like he just doesn't get any opportunities. I know. I, I mean, I remember was it last spring? Yeah, he's got power. He's got speed. He's he's you know fun to watch. Um, and he's had some really bad breaks in a very Yankee way in terms of getting injured. Um, and therefore, you know, the, the numbers are in their favor. I mean, they re-signed Brett Gardner. They had Pockman. You know, Jay Bruce is on the team now, and Luke Voigt comes back. He's another outfielder. I don't know that this would be his year, no, um, unless there is something catastrophic going on. Christy, it starts for Rio later this week. Uh, thanks for your help during, the, uh, during spring training, and uh, we'll talk to you when the season begins. Look forward to it. Thanks, Larry. All right, you got it. Thank you, Christy. You can read her in the Daily News. Christy Ackert does a great job covering the Yankees. This is 98.7 ESPN.